Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys part one of the murder of Jody Jones. So grab yourself some fire department coffee, and let's dive in. This episode is a case suggestion from Georgia L. So thank you, Georgia, for suggesting it. Jody Jones and Luke Mitchell, both 14 at the time of our story, grew up together in Dalkeith, Scotland. Our story is going to take place in 2003. So at this point, they had started dating in March of 2003. And on June 30th, they had agreed to meet up that evening, which was not abnormal. The two got together frequently. There was a wooded path that they used as a shortcut to get back and forth to each other's houses. So Jody was taking that path to get to his house. And this place was called Roman's Dyke. And so Jody was on this path walking, but she never ends up arriving to Luke's house. It was around 10 o'clock in the evening when her family realizes that she's not home. And they call Luke and his mom and talk to them. And they realize that she never even made it to his house. So at 10 o'clock that night, they set out on a search party. Luke goes and meets with Jody's family at the top of Romansdyke, and he's meeting up with Jody's sister, Janine, her boyfriend, Stephen Kelly, and Jody's grandma, Alice. And they start walking along this path, and they're walking for a while. They've got torches and lights so they can see. And there's this wall that borders up against Romansdyke, and Luke shines a flashlight and he's like, I think I see something over here on the other side. And he like walks over and he's like, there's definitely something down here. And Stephen Kelly, the boyfriend of Jody's older sister, walks over and looks as well. And he's like, there's for sure something down here. And the grandma walks over and looks over the side of the wall and they realize that they're staring at the body of Jody. And it's pretty clear from just looking at Jody that she's been brutally beaten her hair was torn out at the roots she had been strangled to death her throat had been cut between 12 and 20 times it was said that she was basically decapitated and her hands were tied behind her back with the use of her own pants and she was partially naked that's definitely a very violent crime extremely violent and the sheriff department and all the police officers were like this is one of the worst crimes we've seen in our community and i think it's one of the worst crimes seen in multiple communities i mean i don't think you see this kind of overkill and this kind of violence in most cases so they get back they're telling the police department like hey we found this body we believe it's jody's like that's jody over there and the police are like, okay. And basically, they're, Luke's like, yeah, I, I saw the body. Like, I saw a glimpse. That, that's what the family tells them. And they're like, okay, Luke, you need to go sit over here. And the rest of the search party that you were in the group with can sit over here. So they completely separate Luke. And he thought it, he said that he thought it was weird that they immediately separated him because the rest of the group was allowed to sit together and talk. But if he tried conversing with them at all, the police yelled at him and told him not to talk to the, other, the rest of the group. Sounds like since she was going to see him, they wanted to make sure he was not involved. 
So Luke's mother, Corinne, gets told that Luke is being brought in for questioning. And so she goes there and he's 14 years old. They refuse to allow his mother into the questioning room during questioning. Luke requests a lawyer and they tell him he does not deserve a lawyer. And when he requests his mom to be in there, they tell him no. Yikes. I don't quite know the laws and how they differ over there, but I would assume that's probably going against the norm. Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. Luke is very quickly, I think same day, he's named their prime suspect. And what they have on him is the fact that he was the one that saw the body first. Well, if she was going over to meet him and he was at his house, you could probably assume maybe one of his parents were there. Did they ask them? Yeah. So his mom, Corinne, was home. And so was his brother at the time. And they both came forward and they're like, look, he was home with us. We were cooking dinner when we were waiting for Jody to arrive. But police were pretty much like, yeah, we don't really care. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So police have named him as a suspect, so they decide that they're going to investigate Luke's house. Now, Luke is not your typical 14-year-old. When they're investigating his house, they do find a lot of things that are different for 14-year-olds, but not necessarily condemning for him being a murderer. So they find that he's very goth. That's the lifestyle he leads. And they do find satanic slogans on books and things in his home. And apparently he was known around the community kind of as a dope smoking devil worshiper. That's a quote. And a lot of people said that he was really into the Black Dahlia case. And then they, a lot of people compared the Black Dahlia case to the way that Jody was murdered. So all these things kind of combined. The police are like, they didn't think he was looking that great. So the funeral comes up for Jody and Luke and his mom and brother are all told they are not allowed to attend Jody's funeral. I mean, if, if the family of Jody is thinking it's him at this point, I, I can understand them wanting to keep that excluded from her, from like burying their daughter. It makes sense. So Luke and his mom decide that they're going to have their own vigil at home for Jody. So at the time of the funeral, they have their own little thing at home to celebrate her life. It was something that was very quickly attracted by the media and by the public. And everybody blamed Luke and his mom. And they're like, we hate you. We don't want you around. The media truly had him convicted prior to him even having a trial. Every news article that released about him was boyfriend did it, boyfriend did it, boyfriend did it. And at this point, he was still a suspect in the eyes of the law. The entire time from June of 2003 until April of 2004, the public has completely condemned the Mitchells. They refuse to do any business with Luke's mom. They refuse to communicate with Luke. Luke's pretty much not even allowed at the school. 
I was just going to ask, is Luke still at home? They haven't brought him in or anything, right? They had not brought him in yet as they didn't really have any evidence. They only had circumstantial stuff. Well, then one day on April 14th, 2004, around 7.30, they decide that it doesn't matter that they don't have any evidence. They're arresting him and charging him with the murder of Jody Jones. Okay, quick thing though. With a crime that violent, did they look for DNA from the killer? Yeah, so they were able to bring in 100 pieces of evidence from the scene of the crime. And they were testing all of this stuff for DNA. And these pieces of evidence consisted of hair, saliva, semen, blood. Not a single drop of any of the DNA on this crime scene matched Luke. Also, okay, so obviously we're we're hearing that it's not sounding like Luke is responsible. Is he even like strong enough to commit a crime like that? I, I, I didn't come across that at all. That is a good question. I don't know exactly how strong he was or exactly how big Jody was. Yeah. I mean, just, I've seen photos of her, but I, I think it would kind of depend. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like a 14 year old boy. They're not typically quite grown up yet no not really it would take a considerable amount of strength to be able to subdue somebody to this point and there were signs that jody had fought back during this so for him to be able to take her down without much of a struggle is interesting they also had him forensically evaluated and they didn't find anything on his body that would indicate any sort of struggle no scratch marks nothing none of her dna it was at this point She was on his way to meet him, and he saw her body first. I just don't understand how you can arrest somebody and charge them with a crime if none of the DNA fits and he has a solid alibi. I have no idea. I genuinely don't. I'll be honest, the more I looked into this case, the angrier I got. So I'm glad you brought up the alibi again. His mom and brother were also arrested at the same time for giving a false alibi. Police were like, no, there's no way. That's not a real alibi. You gave a false alibi and you burned your son's clothing with all of the DNA on it. You're covering up him committing this crime. How long was it in between her leaving and them finding the body? Do you know? So she was seen around 5 p.m. Okay. And then they found her body. I know you said at 10 they realized she wasn't home. Yeah, I believe it was just after midnight that they found her body. Okay. Luke was then sent to trial. And on January 21st, 2005, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 20 years that he had to serve. How? Like, let me tell you, first off, I want to say there's a documentary that I watched for this case, and it's called Murder in a Small Town. So a lot of evidence comes from that. And I'm going to go more into that in a minute. But this specifically came from that. So I want to point it out now. The prosecution had three reasons that they were charging Luke with the murder of Jody Jones. One, he found the body. Two, he was seen by some witnesses, which I'll go into. Three, he had a false alibi. Dear Lord. Like, in on that sense, you could say in damn near any case with an alibi that they're just lying. Yeah, there they had zero evidence in this case. Zero evidence that proved to Luke. And hell, like, this is why people don't want to get involved in cases. They don't want to help investigate. They don't want to go do these search parties. They don't want to come forward forward with information. Because the second you do, the police are like, well, you know something, then it has to be you. And not in every case. But we have covered multiple cases where this has occurred. There was 
one that we did a while ago, Melanie Uribe. There was a psychic named Etta Smith who came forward and was like, hey, I know where Melanie's body is. And they led police to her and police were like, well, you must have something to do with it then. And she spent time in jail for it. So this is prime reason why people don't want to get involved. And it's so sad to like just theorize how many times there's been a murder that occurred that's gone unsolved and somebody has seen or known something and they're not getting involved just for this. Like how many cases could have been solved if there was some way to counteract this? I think quite a few. And the issue is that a lot of these rules that we have in place to help counteract this stuff, they don't matter. So we have proven guilty with beyond a reasonable doubt. Where the hell's the no doubt in this situation? Or now let oh, me ask. Or oh, just sorry. similar, or just innocent until proven guilty. Like how how is he guilty in this situation? Show me the evidence that you have that proves that he's guilty other than these theories that all of this stuff is just circumstantial. It just fell into place. You know, the whole gothic devil worshiping thing. Like I, I've always disliked that as a reason to suspect somebody. Yes, you can look at their lifestyle and things they're looking into and it can prove to be something dark. But I think you need to take into account that it's a 14 year old boy and 14 year olds and even girls like they're a little uh, hormonal and crazy. And you know, I definitely when I was in middle school dressed a little bit darker than I some people probably thought it was weird but I mean I murdered somebody exactly I don't like their ideas of why they went after him this reminds me of um and I can't remember his name so I apologize but the guy who they talked about regarding the Elisa Lamb case where he was just like really into like dark music and make kind of creepy music videos and he wasn't even in the area at the time of her death and people just like destroyed him for it and he basically lost his career over it yeah i remember they just immediately condemned him just because of his lifestyle and that's not always the reason that you should look at sure it can be considered a part of it but you need to have other things that are supporting your theory so luke did go to prison and is currently in prison at the time of this recording in 2021. He did take a lie detector test back in 2012, and he passed it. But once again, as we know, lie detector tests are not admissible in court, even in Scotland. His mother also took a lie detector test and told police, she's like, even before she took the test, she's like, my results can be published to everybody. I know that I'm being honest, and you guys are just not listening so they asked questions about you know did you lie did you cover it up did you burn your son's clothing from the scene of the crime did your son do it she passed the entire polygraph test so that's two people passing a polygraph test and still zero pieces of evidence connecting him to the crime so it was 17 years later so this documentary that i'm talking about actually came out in february of this year which once again we're recording in 2021 And the main point of this documentary was to, Abby, can you guess it? Prove his innocence? Yes, that was the main point of this documentary, to rediscover the evidence and to work the case from point A all the way until where we're at now. And that's what they did. There are these two, I believe they're former police officers, but they're currently private investigators, Michael Neal and John Salins and they're like we are going to look into this and we are going to start from square one 
So they decided they were just going to take the crime itself, play it out as much as possible, retrace Jody's footsteps, retrace the steps of Luke, and look into all of the eyewitness testimonies and everything that they could in order to determine if Luke Mitchell killed Jody Jones. I'm not going through this in a specific order necessarily. I'm just going to kind of discuss different pieces of evidence and different things that they came up with during their investigation. One of the things that they said really early on into the investigation, and Abby and I kind of talked about it, but how brutal this crime was. This was such a brutal case that you would think whoever had committed this crime would have some sort of scratches or some sort of marks from Jody fighting back, or they'd have some sort of blood or DNA on their person. Right? Right. And that's what these guys say. They're like, there has to be something with the amount of blood that was found at the scene of this crime. There's no way the killer could have not had blood on them. Once again, as I said, there were over 100 pieces of evidence brought in from the scene of the crime. Now, I'm just going to drop this information on you guys right now. I was trying to figure out where to put it in or build up to it. But there was DNA found on Jody's t-shirt. And they actually had a match prior to the trial. Now... Abby, would you like to guess? Do you think it belonged to Luke? I'm going to go with no. Nope. DNA found at the scene of the crime on the victim did not match Luke. It matched Stephen Kelly, the boyfriend of the older sister. What the fork? This case has made me so mad looking into it. It's like, that makes me want to cry. Like, this is so messed up. I promise you it gets worse. So the prosecution has answers for everything. Like, the mom lied about the alibi, and he found the body, so you know, it had to be him. Hey, guys, in case you couldn't tell, that was sarcasm from Erica. <laughs> yes, extreme sarcasm. I'm angry. So the prosecution comes forward with their answer on why Stephen Kelly's DNA would be on Jody's t-shirt. And he says, and they said that it was because Jody had borrowed her sister's shirt. And so because her sister had worn it at one point, her, bro- her boyfriend's DNA would be on there. Also, on a blood stain. I was just going to say, what kind of DNA? I wanted to bang my head against multiple walls during this research. Maybe I'm getting, I'm sure you're going to answer this, but just real quick, give me a little like sneak peek. Do they go back and address the investigators or police involved in this case? Nope. Not that I could find anywhere. Not that I saw in this. Like, this is a perfect example of they should probably be punished to some extent. And maybe some Absolutely. of their old cases reevaluated. I I will briefly go into it towards the end, mm-hmm. but I I don't know that anything actually came of any sort of punishment for the police officers. They also found more DNA evidence at the scene of the crime, other than things that I've already mentioned. I guess I I did mention it. I said that they found semen. They found a used condom at the scene of the crime, and there was DNA on it. They did not, however match this DNA to anybody. Did they test it? Yes. It did not match Luke. And as far as I know, it did not match the boyfriend, Stephen Kelly. I don't know if they compared it to his DNA or if they only compared it to Luke, but it did not match Luke. Okay. So it's possible they didn't even compare it to Stephen. It's it's possible. Okay. Well, I was going to say that makes me think maybe someone else was also involved with Stephen. Yeah. I don't want you guys to think that Stephen is the one that did it yet. Oh. Because I still have so many people to bring in and so many people that are investigated and i'm going to end this episode with just letting you guys know that in 2006 police were able to find who the dna on the used condom belonged to 
So come back for part two to hear more. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.